Welcome back, everybody. Uh, today we have a special episode, Dr. Tierney Loveland Grace, who is my friend as well as a coworker that we both work at Stanbridge University um, as educators together. And she also specializes and is very passionate in the pelvic floor and pelvic floor therapy. This episode, we're going to talk about education regarding pelvic floor therapy, what a pelvic floor therapy does, and who it can benefit. There's a lot of great information for both men and women, as everyone has a pelvic floor. Um, so it's going to be a good episode for all to listen to, whether you have pelvic floor issues or just want some education to help prevent those issues later on down the road. Um, without any further ado, we'll jump right in. Yo, 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 what up, Jordy? <laughs> okay, Jeremy. Um, so what got you into pelvic floor therapy and kind of what is it? Okay, so before we actually even start talking about this at all, we need to make a medical disclaimer, right? Disclaimer alert. Sure, go for it. <laughs> and say none of the stuff we're going to talk about today is actually meant to be taken as specific um, treatment, diagnosis, um, any sort of recommendations for any of the listeners out there specifically for them? Yeah, our podcasts are educational only, so make sure you go get seen by your regular health professional or a pelvic Pel floor, floor therapist. You know it. Okay, so what is pelvic floor physical therapy? How did I get into it? Man, where do we even begin with this? Um, so first of all, what is the pelvic floor? The pelvic floor is a group of muscles that are internal for the most part. There are some of those muscles that uh, make up the pelvic wall that come out as part of the hip muscles. Uh, but the pelvic floor muscles themselves are skeletal muscles, just like your biceps, your triceps, right? The muscles that we most commonly know about if we're working out in the gym. But pelvic floor muscles we can't see, so we're not as aware of them and the dysfunctions that can happen when they're not working very well. So they form the bottom part of the pelvis there, and they have several really important functions that we can talk about. Pelvic floor physical therapy is just like doing any other type of physical therapy that you would do if you got an ACL repair, right? Working on strengthening muscles, coordination of movements, lengthening muscles that are too tight. So pelvic floor physical therapy is the same thing. Coordinating these muscles, strengthening them, lengthening them to make them work well to get rid of dysfunction. So what got me into pelvic floor physical therapy, we talk about it, we have like one lecture in PT school. Did you guys have any lectures? Yeah, one lecture where they came in, talked about stuff. We didn't actually obviously practice anything. They just kind of briefly talked about some things that are beneficial, um, but basically said if you had patients, probably refer them to a pelvic floor specialist. Unless you wanted to go that route, then you have to take extra con ed courses, but that's the extent of our knowledge at school that we got. Right. And the con ed course, I thought it was super interesting. And so I stayed after to talk to the, the guest lecturer who came in. I was like, yeah, tell me about these con ed courses. I want, I think I want to get into this. And when she explained that going to these con ed courses meant that you had to um, practice internal work on strangers right away, like the day you met them, I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I don't need to do that. But then after having my own babies and getting more comfortable with everything and letting people see everything after that um it kind of broke down those barriers it also made me realize because I had my own personal pelvic floor experiences after having babies uh and I was surprised that my doctors didn't just automatically say hey you're having these symptoms let me get you in touch with a pelvic floor therapist I had to be an advocate for myself and I realized I'm a physical therapist who knows that this specialty exists and I still had to go fight for it to get myself seen 
and the experiences that I had, I went to a few different clinics. There were vastly different experiences. So it really made me more passionate about getting the word out there and helping other men and women to become advocates for themselves because it's not just a women issue. This is not just somebody who's had babies now has pelvic floor dysfunction. Men and women have pelvic floors. They can all have dysfunctions. Yeah, I think that goes as far as the doctors go. That's probably for they typically don't have a lot of basis in musculoskeletal system, which is from any and that's for any PT, especially a very subspecialty like pelvic floor therapy. Um, I think that most people probably don't even know that pelvic floor therapy exists for the most part. I feel like it's just becoming a little bit more popular. Um, correct me if I'm wrong though. It used to be considered under the physical therapy association as women's health therapy, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Which probably mm-hmm. pushes men away from yes. it because why would a man go to women's health? Right. Exactly. It's already kind of an awkward thing to talk about, right? If you have hip pain, you're going to go talk to your friends. Oh man, my hip hurts. Or my back hurts. Right. If you have pain with intercourse, if you are peeing on yourself, whether you're a man or a woman, if you're having constipation issues or on the other side of that issues with bowel incontinence, you're not going to go just sit and talk with your friends at lunch. Like, Hey, what do you do when you poop on yourself? Right? Like, so no one's talking about it. So no one can advocate for each other and be like, Oh, Hey, you're like, I have also had that issue. Let me tell you about this great pelvic floor therapist that I've seen. Yeah. So, and it did used to be much more considered women's health. Um, so you're right. A lot of men were like, oh, well, this is a woman issue. I don't even have a pelvic floor. Yes, you do. You do. Men and women have pelvic floors. They are, um, a group of muscles that have five very important functions. So we call them the five S's, uh, sphincteric control. So controlling the urethral sphincter. So you're not peeing on yourself. So you can release your urine when it's appropriate, when you need to. And that's pretty common not just in elderly individuals right in a whole population of people especially I believe women's uh sports has a lot of that those issues right yes that's the thing right there's a lot of collegiate athletes females who are 18 19 and they're like cross-country runners they'll be peeing on themselves as they're running their races and they're just like "Eh, I don't know I don't know what's wrong I shouldn't have an issue I haven't had babies I'm not old I'm strong I shouldn't have issues with it and so they think well I'm strong then I should be strong and I shouldn't be peeing on myself. So I'm just not going to talk about this because it's super embarrassing. But then they're living this life of, of embarrassment, right? And they don't need to do that. It affects their whole quality of life. So um, that makes me think of another thought. But to go back to the functions. So we talked about sphincteric control of the urethra, but also the anal sphincter, right? So that you're not pooping on yourself or even incontinence of gas, So there are people who just cannot even control if they're passing gas, which can be really embarrassing in the middle of a public setting, right? When it's not an appropriate time to do so. Um, So sphincteric control, support of your internal organs, so your uterus, your bladder, making sure that things aren't falling out of where they're supposed to be. Uh, um, Stability, so it really helps to stabilize the lower back, right? The SI, the pelvic floor is a big part of your core. So when people talk about doing core strengthening, pelvic floor is definitely part of strengthening the core. One of the first times I really heard about the pelvic floor was I went to a conference and it was Chris Powers, who's mm-hmm. a huge ortho guy, and him and one of our teachers at Loma Linda were talking about basically the pelvic floor and kind of how it's used basically for trunk control and stability and things like that. And they gave an analogy of like, 
if you're trying to create trunk control, um, you have obviously a bunch of different parts, right? You have your abdominals, which help. You have your diaphragm, which is up top, and then you have your pelvic floor on the bottom. And they kind of compared it to like a soda can. If a soda can is closed, right, it's very it's tough. You can't really indent it at all. You pop one of the sides open, and you can just squish it super mm-hmm. easily. So mm-hmm. one of those ways that that can happen, no matter how strong your core is, if you have a weak pelvic floor, all that intra-abdominal pressure that you stored and trapped to create stability just goes out the weakest point, which in a lot of people is either your pelvic floor or your diaphragm, which I think you always say both contribute to your pelvic floor anyways with breathing. So yes, yes. Oh, so many good points that I keep thinking I need to get back to. <laughs> um, yeah, the soda can analogy is a big one that we use in the clinic a lot because then, right, like you said, if there's an opening, a weakening in that soda can, things are going to leak out. That soda is going to leak out. So in relation to this abdominal region, if the pelvic floor is weak, then we're going to start to have leaking of the contents, whether that's urine, gas, fecal matter, or your organs. This is what pelvic organ prolapse is when the uterus or the bladder can actually start descending and it can actually even leave the body, which can be a huge issue that couldn't require huge surgeries that don't always work well. Um, and so we just tell people, let's, let's do preventative care. Let's teach you how to use your pelvic floor correctly, how to coordinate correctly to prevent you from even getting to that point where things are leaking out. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you said earlier is that it's not something you just go talk about with people. And if no one knows about it, then they end up getting help once it's kind of at its worst or once it's kind of not, not necessarily too late, but it's gone far past the point that they could have made easier changes early on. And now it's going to take a little bit longer for rehab versus if it becomes more normal to talk about, right, then more people are able to get education on it, do preventative things like you're saying, just to maintain their overall health and hopefully not have any issues down the road. Right. Or they'll go, they'll see their primary care doctor and say, hey, I'm having symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse, right? Maybe they don't even know how to diagnose it. They just say, I'm having these symptoms. The doctor says, it sounds like prolapse. Let me send you to this surgeon. What's the surgeon going to do? I mean, I love surgeons, right? I've worked with some great ones, but surgeons typically cut they do surgery. Like that's their first thing to do. And so why not get you to see pelvic floor therapists to try to prevent having to do a surgery when you have a grade two prolapse before having to do some surgery that can cause infection, may not go well. Yeah. Like you said, nothing against surgeons, but everyone has their biases and a surgeon, that's what they go. They, that's what they do. They do right. surgery. So their bias is that just like your bias is therapy. Difference is therapy is typically not going to harm or cause permanent damage or changes where a surgery could possibly do that. Right. Exactly. Okay. So we're talking about the functions, right? Uh, the last two functions that we didn't talk about yet are sexual. Everyone likes to talk about sex, right? Maybe not everyone. Okay. Especially you. (laughs) (laughs) Sexual is important though, right? So, uh, the pelvic floor needs to be able to elongate to allow penetration. It also needs to be able to contract to allow for orgasm. So again, men and women, we need to have pelvic floor functioning correctly to have good pain-free, enjoyable sex. And then the last S of our five S's is is a sump pump, meaning that it helps with circulation of lymph and just um, the blood flow in that pelvic region there. Yeah. One of our students came back from rotation and they were, they said they had some pelvic floor work done in their clinic. And they said one of the ones, things that I had never heard of before, but they had a patient who came in with, they described as like a a retracting penis due to like scar tissue from a hernia surgery and everything. And just doing not even internal work, but just work to the lower abdominal area, um, the kind of the groin area that helped a lot as far as his objective and subjective kind of symptoms. 
Yeah. Yeah. Scar work is so important and something again that, um, most doctors are not telling you about. So if you have a C-section, for example, your doctor is not, okay. Most doctors are not going to tell you most OBGYNs afterwards are not going to say you need to do scar work on that. But what we know about scars is that what we see on the outside is the tip of the iceberg. You think about what happens in a C-section, it goes seven layers deep. I mean, it's so deep that we have that scar tissue going all the way down to the organ level. So we'll have people come in years after they've had C-section wondering why they have this bladder dysfunction or any other sort of kind of lower intestinal dysfunctions. Part of it can be that they have adhesions from that C-section scar that was never worked on and just so much pain and limited movement in this lower trunk area because of that scar. Yeah, I had a listen to a podcast once and there was a guy, his wife had a C-section and they knew that he was in the kind of sports fitness health field. And as he was making the cuts, he was pulling back each layer of the abdominals to show him like, this is where we're going. We're cutting through each individual layer. Um, so yeah, it's not just that scar on the outside. It goes, especially in something like a C-section, right? It goes all the way down, which can cause all kinds of issues. Yeah, seriously. Um, there was another thought that I wanted to talk about with the breathing. But now we can get back to it later. Okay. Um, what kind of patients do you typically work with? Um, or I, I know everyone can benefit from like pelvic floor, like knowledge and education, mm -hmm. but what would kind of be like the, the majority of patients that you see, I guess, that if someone was dealing with an issue, they should seek out a pelvic floor therapist. Mm, okay. So again, I think one of the big things to, to reiterate is that so many people just assume only people who've had babies need to go to pelvic floor therapy, which is so not the truth. It's very common, right? Because a big part of pelvic floor dysfunction comes after trauma. Pregnancy and delivery of that, that newborn is a trauma, a huge trauma to the pelvic floor, whether it's coming out via C-section or vaginally. And that's one of the big things that people say, well, I had a C-section, my pelvic floor is fine. No, imagine what your pelvic floor has been having to do for 40 weeks as everything moved, ligaments have started to stretch, right? The, the growing size of the uterus and the weight of the fetus, everything that's changing, the, the change in the shape of your abdominal muscles, everything has changed. So yes, pelvic floor is a big indication for people postpartum and even prepartum. I see a lot of women getting ready to have the baby, right? They have pubic symphysis dysfunction. They have um, sacroiliac joint, SI joint dysfunction. They're wanting to figure out the best way to push during delivery so that they can prevent tearing as much as possible. So prepartum, postpartum are big parts of pelvic floor. But we also see um, people with constipation, endometriosis, IBS, athletes, pediatric pelvic floor physical therapy is another niche, men, right? Post um, prostatitis or prostatectomy type situations going on there. Men with um, sexual pain, uh, people with low back pain, coccyx or tailbone pain, chronic SI joint pain. So the list can go on. It's not just for people who've had babies, right? We can see that we can treat people across the whole lifespan from very young to very old. Yeah, we had actually a question on that is if, uh, I think they said, or they said uh, do women who haven't had children need to do pelvic floor exercise as they age, which you just answered there. And then the other one was, is urinary leakage after a baby normal? Which I think you already kind of touched on a little bit, but I know that you, uh, uh, you want to talk about that. Yeah. So go for <laughs> it. Cause you know what, you know, what grinds my gears. <laughs> 
is when I hear doctors, OBGYNs, uh, primary care practitioners, when a, when a patient goes in and says, you know what, hey, I have been peeing on myself ever since having a baby. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been told that the doctor says, well, you've had a baby. What do you expect? You're going to pee on yourself the rest of your life. Hell no. You do not need to take that. You don't need to take that answer. If you have any sort of concern, if you're peeing on yourself, if you can't control gas, you can't control your bowels, you're having chronic low back pain, you're having pain with sex, you're having pain with tampon usage, you're having constipation issues, you're having painful periods, you have chronic low back pain, be an advocate for yourself. You do not need to say that this is life. It's not life. You can go see a specialist for this. And maybe they won't completely wipe out all the symptoms you're having, but we can make it a lot better with holistic approaches. Because we know it's not just, yes, it's a musculoskeletal and neuromuscular component, but we also know how um, the emotional components can play into this. The autonomic nervous system, how the vagus nerve especially, right, can play into this, this upregulated nervous system that can be causing a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction as well. Oh, shoot. What was the question? <laughs> um, is urinary leakage oh, after okay. a baby normal? Which So what did you get from that? I got, no, it is no. not. <laughs> Be an advocate for yourself. Exactly. Um, I just made a post kind of like a be your own doctor type of thing and not like in the literal sense, but like you're saying, uh, take your health and right. You should care more about your own health than anyone else because when it's your health, it's your body. Um, so you shouldn't expect a doctor to care as much as you. So if they give you an answer that you don't like, or if that you're just going to be in pain or dysfunction your whole life, right. Go seek other different options. And like you said, the holistic approach focuses on the person as a whole versus just the physical, like aspect of it, because I believe in pelvic floor, there's also a lot of psychosocial components, right? Beliefs, uh, cultures and religions mm-hmm. that can play into mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. pelvic floor issues as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you. Definitely. I, it's, it's unfortunate that most of the time, by the time that people have gotten into our clinic, they have gone through so many doctors and they have so much stress and anxiety that's gone along with their chronic pain or their chronic pelvic dysfunction and they have not gotten a diagnosis for years. So by the time that we see them, it's like we have to peel back layers of this onion to get down to the root of the issue to start treating it. And I completely agree that we, I feel like we look at, we so many of us look at medical doctors as gods, that they can never be wrong, that they know everything, that they're omnipotent, right? They're not. They're humans. They make mistakes. They only have a certain amount of education in this field as it is. So yeah, if you don't get an answer to a problem, if your answer that you're given is deal with it, no. No. Go seek out more information. There's other ways. So that's my biggest thing when we're teaching students, right, is, okay, if you don't want to be a pelvic floor therapist, at least hear what I'm saying so that you can start creating a referral network. If you're seeing someone who has sacroiliac joint dysfunction or chronic low back pain, that's a pretty common orthopedic, outpatient orthopedic diagnosis, right? But if you're seeing that person, they're really not completely resolving and you're just like, man, something isn't adding up here. Know when to refer appropriately. Know when to say, you know what, maybe this is a pelvic floor issue that you're having instead that needs some internal work possibly done. Let me get a referral for you here. Yeah, I think it's important to be educated yourself as Mm -hmm. well as educate others. Like you said, um, lots of times with patients, right, we have to work through their beliefs such as if a doctor, like you said, who is the the gold standard for medicine, they said, you're going to be in pain forever or you're going to have this issue forever. Then your patient comes in, they're like, 
um, I'm here for therapy, but my, my issue is not, I've had it for, you know, years, it's not going away. So it's mm-hmm. just, it is what it is. And you have to work through that aspect of it as well, mm-hmm. which is, it just doesn't damage the process, but it does make or increase the length of that process. Cause there's more things that you do have to work through. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I see along with that question about, um, is it normal to pee on yourself or have urinary incontinence after baby is that, uh, doctors, have very limited information about pelvic floor. So they'll often say, oh, you're peeing on yourself? Just do some Kegels. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's not the answer always. Okay. So just knowing what we know about the anatomy of skeletal muscles, right? We know that if a muscle is tight and short, it doesn't mean that it's strong. It actually can mean that it's weak and dysfunctional as well. So a lot of people are coming in to the pelvic floor clinic with hypertonic pelvic floor muscles, meaning they are short and tight and they're just on too much. They're always contracted. So the way that I like to um, explain this to my patients is, okay, if you walk in um, or let's say that you, your biceps are tight, so your elbow is flexed always, you cannot fully elongate your elbow. Are you going to go to the gym now and go pick up some weights and then start doing more bicep curls in this range here? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Because <laughs> we know, even if you haven't gone to PT school, you know that you need to have a full range of motion to produce the most muscle force. We need to be able to elongate fully and contract, right? So same thing with the pelvic floor. If your pelvic floor muscles are tight and they're too short, they're always contracted. If I'm now going to say, okay, do some Kegels, that's just going to make it tighter, which can make it weaker, which means that I'm going to have even more dysfunction. I'm going to pee on myself more. I'm going to have more pain with sex. I'm going to have more symptoms of prolapse. So no, if you are going around telling somebody you should just do Kegels, that's not an appropriate intervention to give without being assessed first. I would say that if there's one exercise that anybody could benefit from pelvic floor, um, would just be a breathing exercise. That would be the safest exercise that I could give to anybody without doing an actual assessment first. Yeah. So like deep diaphragmatic breathing, right? Breathing through kind of your stomach. Right. And that's just good for all health issues, not just pelvic floor, but exactly. Um, yeah, I think from the Kegel aspect as well, like you were saying is right. If it's tight, most people's sympathetic nervous system, which is what, right. Uh, caused by stress and all kinds of things is usually already working throughout the day. Most people don't take time to relax, activate their parasympathetic nervous system, which would be activated with the diaphragmatic breathing anyways, Mm -hmm. to help relax those muscles. Mm -hmm. So like you said, if, especially if you're stressed all day, maybe you have a busy job at work, stressful family life, something like that. And then now you have these issues and now you're just doing Kegels on top of it. Like you said, it's not going to, not going to help the issue at all. Well, and the other thing is because pelvic floor muscles are internal, we're not as aware of them being tight as we are with muscles that we can actually see. Like I know if my upper trap is tight, right? I'm like, I might not be able to turn my head as much, right? Or I might be like, oh yeah, right here. It really hurts. And so I can start to do stretches or do my own release. Pelvic floor muscles, because we're not as aware of them, we can't really feel them as well. And they even have referral pain to other places that we might think is another issue we don't know then we we cannot walk around and say i think my pelvic floor is tight unless you've gone to see a pelvic floor therapist and you've had some advanced training some good feedback to understand and and get an idea of what your pelvic floor is the just kind of general person doesn't know so you you don't ever know if you can say oh my pelvic floor is tight or not you need to go see someone to really get that addressed yeah um i think we're going to talk about some myths of pelvic floor Mm -hmm. i think that was one of them Mm -hmm. um which is Kegels are not always the answer. So to make sure you get a proper assessment before you just start doing 
something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, what other things would you say are kind of like common myths or just, uh, things that you think people should be more aware of? Okay. So, right. The Kegels was one of them. One, the other myth, uh, that we've talked about too, was that men, people say men don't have pelvic floors, but they do. So we've talked about that one. Um, I think one big question that I get a lot is, uh, is hovering over the toilet okay to do? Yeah, you got that from some of your students. <laughs> I get that from a lot of people, right? And I don't know, I think it's even more of a Californian thing. I even remember watching, I'll admit it, a few years ago, I watched an episode of the Kardashians. <laughs> And they were giving uh, they were giving their mom Chris a, a hard time because she was actually sitting on a public toilet, right, and going pee instead of hovering. Hovering is bad for us. We can't do that. When we go pee, when we go poop, both both of those situations, we're actually supposed to be relaxing the pelvic floor. It's not supposed to be a contraction or a pushing out sort of thing. So that's another thing to keep in mind. A lot of people actually push their pee out, which is not is not good. It's a, it's a coordination issue that we shouldn't be doing, but we need to relax the pelvic floor muscles. It's very hard because in our culture here in America, we don't squat to pee typically. So if you are hovering over a toilet, we don't have that coordination and muscle endurance to be able to do that appropriately and still, um, efficiently and effectively release and relax the pelvic floor muscles. Yeah, I think when, especially when she's saying hovering, she's mean like people squatting over it, like a 90 degree squat type of thing or even higher, but where you're not completely relaxed. If you can get into a full squat and yeah. relax, I, I've had one of the best poops ever, pooping out in the mountains. But you that's just when you're like, squat. right, when you're on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. on the ground in a full squat, <clears throat> yeah. relaxed versus stressing all your muscles in a 90 degree squat, trying to hover over a toilet. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point too. If you, yeah, if you need to go pee out in the woods or whatever, right, you're getting down like all the way to the ground. And ideally you have something you're also holding on to so that you can really relax as much as possible. But yeah, squatting, hovering over public toilets, is not the way to go. And you know what? If this makes people feel any better, there are more germs on the door handle of the the bathroom stall than on the seat itself. Yeah. And you just throw something down so it's... Yeah. Sit down on the toilet. Exactly. Just sit. You're fine. Even after you educated students on that, I believe, there was still some that said they still, they're still <laughs> hovering. It's a... Uh, well, if you've grown up that way for so many years, it's hard to kind of break that habit. But... Just let yourself sit and relax. <laughs> any other things that you want to mention regarding any myths or anything that you think people should know? Uh, you know, I think the only other thing I would add on with this idea of the squatting is that squatty potty. Because I'm asked about the squatty potty a good amount. And the squatty potty can be used uh, for pooping, yes, but also for peeing. Because what it does is it basically is bringing the ground up to you and gets your hips into this nice flex position, which really opens up the pelvic floor. It decreases the anal rectal angle that can help um, just improve the flow of fecal matter through the rectum. But again, it also relaxes pelvic floor muscles so you can have a nice relaxing pee. Oh, I didn't know mm -hmm. about the, the, the peeing part. I know everyone uses it for pooping, okay. right? But yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I use it for both. Good job, Vanessa. Well See? done. Nice. I had a game. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if we have nothing else, uh, is there anything, like one specific thing or takeaway that you would give to people listening? Um, maybe they don't have access to good pelvic floor therapists or because yeah. a lot of people have trouble finding good. I feel like in Orange County here, we do have a lot of pelvic floor facilities and whatnot, but I'm sure in more remote areas, they're 
hard to come by. So if you have someone that's not kind of doesn't have access to that um, and they do realize that they have these issues, is there anything that they can do themselves um, that you think maybe even just a few things or whatever you think they can help them the most? That's such a good point, Jordan. And that was something else that I, I wanted to talk about too. Um, when we we're talking about the pregnancy specifically is the fact that in Europe, for example, there's countries there that it's standard of care that women six weeks postpartum at their checkup, if they're having any sort of symptoms, pain, incontinence, the government is paying for you to go get pelvic floor physical therapy. Standard of care. Here, yeah, here, most of the time it's private, which is expensive, unfortunately. There are um, like Kaiser, Hogue, they do have pelvic floor um therapy there but I will say that it's usually long wait lists at least at Kaiser I know it's long wait lists to get in there so um I would say just making sure that if you start to have any sort of concerns try to see if your if your uh, health insurance does have pelvic floor therapists pelvic floor therapy can be done remotely it's not as um easy, right? So for us to do an internal assessment, if we're doing this over Zoom, but we can, and we can teach you your own sort of ways to assess yourself. We can teach you signs and symptoms that you're looking for um, that might indicate hypertonic or hypotonic things. We can definitely go over exercises with you that you can still do to help release or strengthen um, those muscles, how to coordinate those muscles. So that also um, answers the question that a lot of people have. What if I don't want internal work done? It doesn't necessarily have to be internal work. It's, it's helpful to be able to do an internal assessment. So we actually know what's going on with the muscles, but it doesn't have to be internal if that's kind of what's stopping you from going as well. We can still get a good amount of information just doing an external assessment as well. So even if you're remote, if, if you're kind of living somewhere that's not as easily accessible, there's lists of providers that you can find. If you go onto the Herman and Wallace website, for example, or the American Physical Therapy Association, you can look up lists of pelvic floor therapists in your area. You can also um, just look up remote pelvic floor sessions, and there's a whole listing on Google that you can find, too. Awesome. I think on top of that, like we talked about earlier, just focusing on that diaphragmatic breathing, that relaxation, um, and those aspects can also be a big help, especially because... Most people don't do that anyways. They don't know even know how to breathe diaphragmatically. So focusing on that, I feel like, is a big help as well. Yeah, definitely. Breath work on a daily basis can really help pelvic floor symptoms and just calming that autonomic nervous system. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Tierney. Um, she doesn't really have social media, so if you guys have any questions, um, you can direct them towards me. I'll ask her, and we can make another video if there's a lot of questions or anything like that. Other than that, um, we'll see you next time. Oh, 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 o